Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Well, we're back once again at the Corner of Truth and Courage. Thank you for joining us here today. I want to break in into a subject that is rarely covered when we speak on the subject of revival. Could it be that one of the reasons why we are not seeing revival in our land today is because we are calling on the wrong preacher to come and preach a revival for us? Could it be that we are looking for people who are gifted differently than how they should be gifted, the way that God designs for, for the revival preacher to be? I think the Bible has some answers for us in this, and I and I've I've been puzzling over this for years, even early in my ministry years, just starting out, wondering why is it that we call evangelists to come and preach repentance and revival to the saved? I mean, are not evangelists gifted to preach repentance and salvation to the lost? Isn't that really where they are gifted, to bring the lost to Christ. Now, yes, when revival breaks forth, true revival, that is, when God steps down, there is a result of many people getting saved. And usually it's because God's people are starting to do what they should have been doing in the first place, living putting God's things first, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness rather than their things. And when they start getting right, it is noticeable by the lost, by their colleagues and their neighbors and uh, their friends and family. And it is a convicting force in the Holy Spirit falling upon believers as they're living like they should. When we return to normal from a subnormal, when we become backslidden, we are impotent. We we're lacking God's power, but when revival falls on us from heaven, we get busy doing what we should be doing, then we see other people getting saved. And sometimes, and rather most of the time, there's a great deal of lost people that are in our churches already under the false illusion that they're believers when actually they're just simply false converts. And they fall under conviction and see their sinful need and that they've been trusting in their self-righteousness and good works and realizing that's not going to get them to heaven. They're not righteous. They don't have good works that will earn them heaven. And then they humble themselves before God and and find salvation. But we bring a, an evangelist, a man who has been gifted to bring the lost to Christ. Now, that that we need them. We need to have meetings and host meetings. Pastors need to have evangelistic meetings, um, Call them what you may, but revival is probably not the best word for it. Then who should we invite to come and preach a revival? Well, I think the Bible has an answer for us. If we turn in to our New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11 through 12, we find that there, there's a list of four different groups of, of preachers. Two of them will hold the office of being ordained, and the other two offices don't necessarily require ordination. But we see 
that there are four different groups of preachers. Let me read the verse to you there. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So there are four distinctive groups here. Now, some might say five, pastors and teachers, teachers being separated as another group. But actually, if you find, look carefully at this verse, these four different groups are separated by commas. And the pastor, teacher, pastor and teacher makes up, you know, the Bible tells us that if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be an elder, you have to be apt to teach. You have to be a teacher. So a pastor teacher is the same person. Then you have someone who has the job or the gift of being the evangelist, bringing the lost to Christ. Then you have the prophet. We'll get back to him in a moment. But let's talk about the apostle because this is largely misunderstood. Now, there are two different types of apostles in the New Testament, two different types. The first group of apostles are the ones that we normally only think of. And we think that there's just one group, and that's the apostles who were called by Jesus Christ, the 12 disciples. But there are others that are listed. But let's look at this group first. These people have been given their authority by Jesus Christ himself to go what? To preach the gospel to every creature, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to baptize them in the name of the Father and to teach them all things whatsoever commanded thee. And so these people have been authorized to plant churches, to evangelize the world, and to start and and baptize people, bring them into membership. Baptism brings people into membership. We find that in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and were added unto them. What? Who's the them? The church, the Jerusalem church. And so these souls were added after baptism into the church. So baptism is the doorway of membership into the church. And so these apostles were given the authority to baptize and to bring and to start churches, okay? Then there's another group of apostles, most famously would be Paul. Now, by the way, when they were selecting the apostle to replace Judas, we find in Acts chapter 1, very strict rules being given. Number one, they had to have seen the resurrected Lord. Number two, they had to have been with the, um, uh, all the way from the baptism of John and with the ministry of Christ over the time up until that present time and after Jesus was taken away. So he had to be, they had to be present at his ascension. Now, many people say, well, Paul was an apostle because he saw the resurrected Lord on the Emmaus Road, but he did not. He was not there at the baptism of John, nor was he there at the ascension. And so there has to be some other qualification for Paul to be a, 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 an apostle. Also, Barnabas was an apostle. And we have um, Silas being referred to as an apostle. We have also a couple other men, Adronius and Junia. We read of them in Romans chapter 16, verse 7. These men are also called apostles. Now, how did they become apostles? They're not part of the original group. They received their authority from the local church. The church laid hands on them and sent them out. Remember in Acts chapter 
where are we, chapter 14, 15, I think it is, maybe 13, 14, uh, where uh, Paul and Barnabas are sent out from the church in Antioch and to go start churches and uh, called of the Holy Spirit and laid hands on by the church. And so, so this is their authority to be apostles. So what is an apostle? An apostle is a church planter. We have another word for that. We call them missionaries. You look through your Bible, you won't find the word missionary. But we know missionaries exist. So who are they? They're the apostles. How do we get the word missionary out of it? Well, it comes from the Latin word mito. And mito is the Latin word for apostle. You're seeing the connections here. And so an apostle is just simply an, a missionary, someone who has the authority of a local church to go out and start churches. And so, so we find a, a pastor teacher, he's ordained, an apostle is ordained. So these are the two ordained positions. But there are other men who could be preachers that aren't necessarily ordained. We have the evangelist, someone who's gifted to take the gospel to the lost. So then who is the prophet? Well, the prophet is the one who preaches revival to a nation. They're the ones who go out, remember, in the Old Testament. Now, a lot of times we get just caught up of the role of an apostle, you know, foretelling, getting special revelation that wasn't otherwise given. And was that a role for prophets in the Old Testament? For some, yes, but not all. Many apostles, sorry, many prophets just simply preached warning and judgment to God's people if they continued in the rebellion and turning away from him, calling on them to repent and turning back to God. And so that revival, so they could be revived and returned back to blessing and, and relationship with God their Father. That's one of the major responsibilities of a prophet is calling people back to a right relationship with him. A revival is not to the lost. A revival is to those who are already believers but who have slipped away, who've, who are slacking, who've maybe backslidden or become a little carnal or impotent in their service for God because of, of slipping away and calling them to, to repent of their sins and to return back to God. That's what a prophet does. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, they gave prophetic teaching. We found that, too, in the early times of the New Testament. Some temporal gifts were given to the believers. We read of them mainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14. But when we come to chapter 13, we're told that some of these gifts, like speaking in tongues, but also prophecies, would come to an end. There would be a time that it will stop. Verse 9. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. They didn't have all of God's revelation yet. They didn't have the New Testament like we have today. And so God gave certain men to be prophets, to foretell and give special revelation that God had given. No, this is how God wants us to live. This is God's truth. And they revealed it there through special revelation. But that came to an end when that which is perfect is come. The Bible hadn't yet been completed. But when the Bible came to completion, and some say, well, this means God. When Jesus comes, when he returns, well, are we saying Jesus uh, is not yet perfect? Uh, he's not yet fully come to perfection, come to maturity yet? That would be uh, very uh, hard to explain your theology there. But certainly the Bible wasn't yet complete and whole and finished. 
And so when the Bible was brought to completion, then the need for this revelation, this special revelation, came to an end because now we have all of God's revelation. So what does that leave us with? Leaves us with the four offices. Who would be best to come and preach a revival? A man who's been gifted and called of God and gifted to target the saved to bring them into a right relationship with God. Now, usually, how do they do that? Their message often is simply judgment. Listen, if we don't repent, judgment is coming. If we don't turn from our wicked ways, look over here. God's going to raise up some pain and some some pestilence and some uh, hardship into our lives if we do not return back to God. Now, sadly, many times they didn't listen to the preachers, but God still raised them up and called them out to preach it. And when we have revivals in our nation, you look at the messages that they preached. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. Where They're not preaching chicken soup messages. They're not preaching warm your... Uh, the cockles of your heart type of messages there to make you giggle and and uh, happy and content, warm, fuzzy feelings. No, they brought fear and trepidation and called you to righteousness. And it's a revival that uh, usually brings great contrition and pain of soul. That's the preaching that God uses to bring revival. So again, I ask the question, maybe Why is it that we're missing the mark on revival? Why is it elusive? Maybe it's because we've been looking to the wrong preachers to come preach revivals in our churches. That's going to be it for today. Join us again tomorrow at the Corner of Truth and Courage. God bless you.